I have a feeling now I have to stand up and fight someone or something. I'm like, I'm like looking around my room being like, I gotta beat someone. I gotta... The way I present it to people usually is by getting them to think about insanity. Look at stuff like schizophrenia and psychosis and it looks like an elaborate problem of the ego. The ego has lost touch with a regulating force that connects it to reality. Sam, do you believe that Christianity was wrong? And it's like, well, how did people get obsessed with that for 2,000 years? People are trapped in this perception of the left brain. And what does the left brain do? It creates missions for itself. What it seems like happened in the West, we live in hell right now. Plan is now we're going to have to try shuttle out of this reality. There's no such thing as someone who doesn't think, quote unquote, religiously. If we can step back, maybe even establish a communication with this unconscious, does that give us the power to actually direct this entire rigmarole? Why is the priests always on top? It's a very, very strange idea. If people have listened to any of my previous episodes, they'll know this weird part about me. No bitches work your juice. That's right. Good, good job. Tell them they're not getting it. No way. No way. No, no to This is a boys space, girls. <laughs> no Please way. turn off the stream. You better be on point and if you're going to get some of this juice. for another brand new episode of Noetic Nomads. I'm Albert Kim, a double shot of espresso in human form. And boy, oh alert, because synchronicity has brought me here today <laughs> with an Irish lad dripping with so much juice, a bead of his sweat would drop my balls and get me pregnant <laughs> at the same time. Our guest is a storyteller in the proud nice. tradition of his Gaelic countrymen and women, a miner of the shadowy depths of Carl Gustav Jung's work on the collective unconscious, arising out of the darkness with glinting gems bundled in his arms, covered in soot and gasping for breath, yet all with a boyish grin on his face. Through the power of words, images, and mythology, this warrior poet has called to arms a growing army of juicy gents and luscious lasses raging against the dying of the light, facing off against the dark forces of entropy and overthrowing the shackles of a slave morality to become masters of their own destiny. Nomads, please help me in introducing an oracle for the coming ion, a sage putting out the siren call to all those dancing souls sane enough to hear his meaningful music. Representing Dublin, the Republic of Ireland, and now the Nomads family, by day he goes by Steph, but when the alert goes out, he transforms into the one and only Uber Boyo. Thank you so much for coming on today. I have a feeling, I have a feeling now I have to stand up and fight someone or something. You've like hyped me up. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like looking around my room unconsciously. I'm being like, I gotta beat something. I gotta take You're on Celtic something. Celtic warrior. That's it. That's it. Excellent, okay. excellent job, sir. Excellent job. I think I think you're the one who should be talking for the rest of this, bro. That was great, man. Well done. Well done. No, I'm not gonna lie. Like looking into your stuff, reading all you know, like your poetry. I was like, I had to step it up for this one. I know I got to step it up for Uber Boyo's <laughs> intro. So that was it. So again, thank you so much for coming on. I know well, you're that very was, busy. That was top tier. <laughs> thank you so much. No, you're all good, bro. You're all good. Um, I think I was going to say to the ladies and gentlemen watching that me and me and um, Bertie over here have decided to go with the name Bertie as as his alias uh, henceforth. So if you want to go with that, that's a lovely little Irish lilt. He's now qualified himself as a, an exceptional master of the words. And now he now he has been dubbed a new name. He's been reborn with a new oh alias, a new God. name. This is his new persona going forward. I have been so. knighted Bertie Thank you very by much, Bertie. Uber Boyo. Thank you. Oh, my God. Okay, <laughs> awesome. 
So again, I thank it's you so much for coming on today. I'm such like, I, I love your work. And I, the way that I got into it was actually, I was on the uh, Rebel Wisdom Circle community and then someone posted uh, um, a link. Oh, here, look at this about the uh, collective unconscious about you actually, it was about the national like political and how that all plays into it. I was like, oh, let me check this out. And then I was like, what the hell is this? I've never seen anyone go into it like this, like bringing into this this art, this artistic stuff and this narrative and like these 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 catchphrases. I was like, what what is this? This is amazing. And like, I just <laughs> I would just want to know if like if you could enlighten our audience, like how we came to know each other through a very uh, well, circuitous, interesting path. Oh yes, well it's it's always uh it's it's always an interesting one how how these things work. So I've been I've been making stuff on YouTube now for about probably about two years, coming up on two years. And I was obviously posting an awful lot about Young, but I have my own take, you could say, on a lot of this stuff. And uh, it, it's doing reasonably, reasonably all right now at this point. And people are people are like, you know, finding me. I've sort of got like a bit of an audience, a, a horde of hungry boyos, as they say, a horde of a horde of frenzied boyos running yeah. around being like, where's the where's the astral plane? I must find this astral plane that I can break into. Um, and every now and again, like I, the, the way I run my my sort of I guess you could say the business side of things or the way I run the the the, the way that I work with people, because obviously like all, all these type of things tend to lend towards people wanting to, to actually go into this stuff i am um, talk to people when i'm one so i, I you know get on the phone and, and do it old school old school mm -hmm. mode hopping on the phone making it human i'm not a big fan of the whole um technical written internet culture i, I wait before being on the phone and hearing voices and so um one person I was talking to is like, well, well uh, ingrained with all your stuff. I'm not sure if she, she would like to get dropped by name, but I'll, I'll, we'll just call her <laughs> Wink Monica from Friends. We can go with something like that. Yes. And uh, so she was hanging out and uh, yeah, she, she came and she called me up and and then there was another another gentleman from England called Joe. Mm, and uh, yeah. we, yeah, like th these two people reached out to me and we've been chatting to them and they sort of plugged me a little bit into what's going on over there because I've, I've been loosely aware of Rebel Wisdom and I've mm. been loosely aware of that. I, I wasn't aware of your stuff before, but um, I got all hooked up because you are all enmeshed in a sort of grand web, a sort of grand community over in mm. this corner of the internet, I guess you'd say. So I'm not sure if that's the the blow by blow exact way it all happened, but that's the sort of general thrust. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we got hooked up by uh, guest number four on Noetic Nomads, Monica Bravo. You could check it out. Like she's she's on there. Oh, okay, and, like, sweet, sweet. Yeah, exactly. And like, I'm really glad that happened. And then <laughs> it's funny because like we, we got in touch, and then like, and then right when we got in touch, I was hosting this uh, this event on Sunday called the uh, you know the next generation of of sense makers and change makers and you came into it and I was like wow and then we had all these amazing people and I was I was just blown away by like all these people who actually agreed to come to my little shindig and I was just like I was just wondering like like what was brought up during that event I was just very very curious about like what happened and your thoughts about uh, what went down well so it was quite late for me, first of all. So yeah. I, it was like yeah. I was I was masked behind darkness. That was the first thing about it. I was yeah. sort of like you, but my face was dark as well. Like the, yeah. you've got that black background. I, I had this uh, just entire, you could just see the two eyes pretty much. That was all yeah. it was and the teeth. What we talked about, we talked about quite a lot of things. Like, you know, my usual shtick tends to come up. So that, that was popping up every now and again. But yeah, we were just like popping into rooms and, and chatting about, um, yeah, various things in that regard. And it was, it was good crack. Mm, yeah. And like the, one of the prompts is like, I really, I'm really curious because obviously you're into all this stuff and I'm going to get, start getting to, again, like the first thing I'm, one of the first things I mentioned was like, you put out the video on the Stargate project. 
And I was like, oh my God, this is going back like into my teenage years when I was researching that. So I want to get into that. <laughs> but I, like the first prompt that uh, we had during that little gathering was what's something mind blowing that you came across recently, whether it was a book, an idea, a movie, a show, anything. So I want to start getting into the U Uber's little discoveries that you've come into lately. Good question. Good question. I've come out, I've come across quite a lot. Like things tend to, uh, tend to move pretty fast with me and I'm picking up like a lot of new ideas and new perspectives and whatnot quite, quite quickly. And um, the shtick on my channel for the last while has been talking about the brain hemispheres. Mm. Now, about a year ago, around about a year ago, someone um, put me onto the idea of the two hemispheres. You've probably heard that cliche conception of the left brain, and the right brain being like logic and art. Mm. And that's not really true. And, and there's this dude called Ian McGilchrist, and he, mm. he proposed that that not being true is um, actually not good enough reason to dismiss this stuff, and that the difference between the hemispheres is very, very significant. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. They do radically different behaviors. You can probably even look at it most accurately as two beings inside your head, two personalities, two characters, mm. two yeah. operant spirits inside your head, and one of them is like an accountant, and the other is like a... Uh, the other is more like a sort of wise general, if you will. That would be the right brain. And so it's not necessarily art and logic, but it's more like a sort of, it's more a sort of stringent way of thinking on one hand that's very much orientated towards logistics and planning. And the other one would be a lot more about big picture entrepreneur type thinking. And that, that mm. seems to be the division between the two of them. So and nonetheless, like I've talked about this at length, you can check my channel out for it. But the thing that's been getting me interested recently and um, that's popped up in the last month or so or two months is that the concept of you can get these two hemispheres to unite and then if you combine that with some other neuroscience such as for example brain waves you see that the, it's, it's actually possible to get these two sides of your brain to talk to each other and that improves mm. your performance that, that improves the ability for these these brains to interact with the world and what do i mean by that well um, there's various levels of brain waves. You've got the very, very bottom. You've got some slow ones. I think they might be called Delta. And then they move up various speeds until you get like the alpha brain waves. That's very, very quick. And then um, the quickest is these things called gamma. And so the gamma gets the two of them to kind of unify together. And they've, dis they've discovered in, for example, places like uh, monasteries and monks who've been meditating for many, many years that they're able to turn on this gamma ray and get the brains to work together instead of working separately, which is what they're designed to do. They work together and it creates a sort of, if you could say, higher consciousness. And this is, this is you know, it's pretty mind blowing. I don't think people quite understand the ramifications of that because we're presented culturally, mythologically, mythopoetically, we're presented with the idea that your brain is sort of fixed as it is. It's this sort of scientific paradigm. There's no, none of this religious nonsense. It's fixed as it is. It's made as it is. And there's not much you can do with that. Like, for example, if you have something like psychosis or schizophrenia or something dangerous along those lines, you're broken. You're depression. You're broken. You've got depression. You're broken. There's nothing you can do about it. It's a fixed conception of what you are. Your mind is trapped within the diagnosis and the prison. And this is very taboo, I know, but all the evidence is starting to point towards the obvious idea that you're actually able to change your mind if you want. And by mind, I mean brain. But brain and mind are related it's like um, software and hardware in a computer mm, yeah. and so the the thing that's been interesting to me is the idea of like what the hell is this higher state of con this I, maybe would i dare would i dare say 
and ideal state of consciousness. What is this ideal state of consciousness where this, this higher frequency waves come on board, get the two hemispheres to talk together and then create flow state seems to be related to it. Higher thinking, higher problem solving. For example, gamma appear in brief flashes when you have the eureka moment where something comes together and clicks. And they've studied, for example, in the Buddhist meditators that that gamma wave doesn't come in a flash. It's on all the time at quite high levels. You know, and so you can think about these type of things like why, what, what, what does it mean that they're able to do that? And what does it mean based on all our understanding of neuroscience? Like, how does it relate? And I would propose that um, there's probably many avenues to get there. And so I'm very, very interested recently in, in charging towards that stuff. High performance, juicy thinking is one thing that I'm going for. So I don't know. Does that really count as something mind blowing? Um, <laughs> well, maybe that's very meta about the mind blowing stuff, about the mind blowing stuff. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. There's so many things, ways that I, I could just take that because uh, again, like one of your recent videos was on the Stargate project and you talked there about hemisync, the synchronization of the left and right brain hemispheres and how this could, you know, you know, potentiate some sort of, you know, increased capacity, even to perhaps, I don't know, project into an astral realm and do remote viewing. And this is stuff that I was researching back in the day with uh, Russell Targ's uh, book and how put off on mind reach on the mind control on the not mind control. That's a whole nother subject, but on the uh, remote viewing experiments where, you know, Yuri Geller and, and all that. And I was just like, I was very open. I was just like, mm, and I don't know. Fast forward now, I'm hearing more of this work and this sort of stuff is coming out more and more. And what you actually came out with, because also I'm into the biohacking realm. Now, biohacking obviously is trying to like manipulate the biology to, you know, increase capacity and whatnot. And again, one of it is the the brain waves is, you know, the, the gamma, alpha, beta, uh, delta, and all those uh, brain waves and how like by just with through like you know, hooking something up to your head, you can you stimulate all these different emotions and higher cognitive states. So again, like that's something I'm very into. And what is actually really interesting is because this is all starting to dovetail right now is because uh, on the STOA, one of my friends there, Evan McMullen, he gave a talk on the bridge and how we have this very, for the past however many hundreds of years, we've been in this very left, left hemisphere paradigm, you know, from like in the scientific revolution you know, everything science and how science is seen as a path. Like you could use science to like get to all the big answers in life. But like what he was saying is like, no, these ancient wisdom traditions, these uh, phenomenological methods of self-inquiry, like, like a Buddhism, like a Stoicism, like a Gnostic Christianity, they're like uh, orthogonal uh, knowledge quests that, that are just as valid as science because science cannot, you cannot derive an, uh, an ought from an is. Uh, unlike what people like uh, Sam Harris and the new atheists uh, like to say, well, like the moral realism. And so he's saying, like, in order to really go up the levels of state, uh, stages of development, like, you know, like the Keegan's uh, stages of development, you actually have to dig into phenomenological self-inquiry, like with these wisdom traditions, perhaps even with, you know, anything from the transcranial, you know, stimulation to meditation to psychedelics. So, yeah, so I, I'm very much with your line of thinking I, I, in your head right now. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, I've, I've taken all that stuff because this stuff can, there's so many different directions you can go with this. So for, first of all, um, I think the, I'm quite a reductionist actually in some sense. I, I, I would be a big fan of uh, Feynman's attitude towards knowledge where if you can't explain it to a child, you don't really know it that well at all. So mm. I often try to find the most reduced and, and basic way of exploring these type of things. So for example, the gentleman called Evan, um, mm. he, I, I think his idea is very, very clever and, and something that um, is certainly worth pursuing. And, and the way I present it to people usually is, is by getting them to think about um, insanity 
of all things, or maybe even something closer to a nervous breakdown. Because the common conception of the idea of the ego is a fascinating conception. Like, what, what, what the hell does it mean that I have this sort of ego? And we all use that word, oh, you know, calm your ego down and all this stuff. But implicit within the use of ego in a psychological terms is premised on the idea that Freud presented, where he said there's also an unconscious, and therefore Jung took it on, said there's this unconscious. So there's this bigger mind. There's this subconscious mind, this unconscious mind. And so we, in our lingo, we use this word ego, but we're not very, very skilled in understanding the implicit opposite, the thing that is defined as also there. And of course, the idea of this subconscious or unconscious or rest of the mind is like very, very easy to understand conceptually, but actually to put it into practice is a very, very hard thing. To actually live as if there's an unconscious mind is a very, very hard yeah. thing to do. Now, um, I think that this is quite an important question because when you look at what happens when someone has a mental illness of some sort and um, no this is this is very this is sort of like bioscience so i recommend you go check this stuff out and see the perspective i'm bringing and explore it yourself and look at it up because again this is like me shooting pretty pretty much from the hip but you, you look at stuff like schizophrenia and psychosis and madness, and it looks like a, an elaborate problem of the ego. It looks like the ego has lost touch with a regulating force that connects it to reality. So what happens when you talk to someone who's got a psychotic delusion and they're like, oh, and I've worked with people like this. Oh, the football team managers are trying to talk to me through the servants in the hospital that I'm in. And they're giving me letters through the food mm. they give me. There's signals in the food. So they give me steak one day. And that's the, the head manager of the entire nation who is, you know, the football manager that I like watching or something like that. And he's sent that person to give me this, this message and all this. And so their ego is there trying to make it. It's, it's got it. It's looking for a story in reality, but it's not. It's actually blocked reality out it no longer wants to see the world as it actually is it's just stuck in its little prison this little conceptual prison mm. now this is all a very very weird and, and very very frightening and intense thing when people go through it but very very weird because it's so difficult to understand like why does your head go that direction why do you get all caught up in some silly story why, why do we get caught up in stories like that you sit down with someone who's going through that and you're like yeah but that's not what's happening like why can't you see what's actually happening what's going on now we dive into the brain, and again, this conception of the dual hemispheres is incredibly important because if you look at the more conscious left brain, the, the part of your brain that talks, the part of your brain, well, the part of your brain that has speech, this seems to be not in touch with reality. It has actually got a propensity towards delusion. Now, I would propose bioscience mode that this left brain is the ego. It is the thing that we conceptualize as the sort of centralized self because the left brain is the thing for a variety of different reasons. And again, check out my channel to check all this. I don't want to burn people's ears off repeating it, that it looks like it's the ego. Now, this other side of your head, this other hemisphere is actually intentionally divided and these two parts of your head, they don't work together in unison. They're actually designed to turn one side off while the other side works. They, they inhibit each other. The, the corpus callosum, the bit in the middle inhibits mm -hmm. them. And so when you, when you want to use your left brain, your ego, when you want to use your ego, you turn off your right brain, your, maybe, maybe your unconscious brain. You turn that other side off, okay? And when you turn on your right brain, the left brain gets humbled down. Okay. And the reason why we know this is because when people used to have epilepsy, they used to cut the brain in half. Yeah, that's delightful, isn't it? Mm. They used to cut the brain in half. And then what would happen is both of their hands would start doing different things. You would go and you try put on a, you try put on a, a shirt 
and your other hand, so you, you go reach in with your, your, your left brain's hand, your ego's hand, which is the right hand, and you reach in, you put on, you grab a shirt, and you're about to put it on. Then the other hand would come up and wrestle it out of his hand and throw it down. This used to happen all the time with people. Mm-hmm. You'd go to eat a chocolate bar, and the other hand would slap it out and grab an apple. All right. And, and this, is, this, is, this is something that's it's called alien hand syndrome. People were like, what the fuck is going on here? That's crazy. But it's, it's pretty evident. The two hemispheres work together. And when you cut the thing that, that, so what does the corpus callosum do? It turns one side off and turns the other side on. So when you cut the corpus callosum, both of them turn on all the time and they just do their thing at the, um, intent, like the, the, they're fighting against each other. Okay. Mm. Now I know I'm building quite an elaborate story here. So you're just going to have to follow me because it's a complex topic. I'm with you. I'm with you. And then what, what it seems like what happens with the, with the, with the ego, with the, with the, the, something like a psychosis is of course, well, the right brain's job is to be quiet and sit in the corner, but keep you in touch with reality. It's a sort of, it's the, it's the right brain, the unconscious, if you want, is the the thing that's in touch with the real world. Mm. And so, you're regulated by your right brain. It sounds weird, but your right brain is almost like your dad and you're like the, your ego. The left brain is like the dog that runs around and like sniffs everything and does all its stuff. The two of them work together and the right brain goes quiet. And then when it's time, it might, it, it, it disinhibits the, the, the left brain perhaps and comes online and tells the, the, the ego, shut up. I'm going to take control here and directs it in a different perspective. It has that type of function, it seems. They've got many, many experiments with this as well, where, for example, they sit down with people who have these hemispheres severed and they can ask questions to each side. And if they ask questions to the left hemisphere, they're usually delusional and self-aggrandizing, egotistical, if you will. And whereas the right brain is a lot more humble and, and, and in touch with reality and down to earth and less, less so self-obsessed, if you will. And so it, it seems to look like these two have separate personalities and they have separate functions. And the way this function works together is the, the, the general and the soldier. The left brain is like the soldier. The right brain is like the general that, that tells the soldier what to do, but doesn't actually do any of it himself. He doesn't do the dirty work. Now, in something like a psychosis, what, you, what, what may be happening is that people are trapped in this perception of the left brain. And what does the left brain do? It's not in touch with reality and it creates missions for itself like a soldier would. It creates Mm. missions for itself and and ways of figuring out plans and whatnot. And so when it's trapped into that, it gets trapped inside its fake, its mission. Its its mission is out of touch with reality. It becomes like that Japanese soldier who was lost in the jungle until like 1967. And then they found him and they were like, the war's been over for years and he, he refused to believe it. Because he'd been stuck in his mission and he, he'd gotten like, he stayed inside the mission. That was his, perspe- his perspective, his worldview. Now, how does this relate to something like a culture? Well, I think it's very important to study psychosis in order to understand these, because of course, what a culture is, is a collection, a conglomerate of billions of brains all at once. And so the problems in the brain in an individual sense are definitely going to probably manifest in some way on a collective sense. That would make sense to me. I think that would make sense mm-hmm. to everybody. That, yeah. That's like, you know, it's coming out of the brain. It must be the case. So if you run with this idea, what can often happen to people is they can get trapped up in delusional stories that don't work for them. Now, you look around and you ask yourself, well, do you think it's possible that a society could get trapped in a delusional story that does not work for them? And of course, the answer would be yes, it certainly could. <laughs> yeah. Now, even, even if you, maybe let's actually take Sam Harris's side here hmm. for a second and say to him, all right, well, let's sit down with Sam Harris and be like, Sam, do you believe that Christianity was wrong? It was the wrong perspective in the world. And he'd probably be like, yes. And it's like, well, how did people get obsessed with that for 2000 years? Like, that's not a trivial amount of time. And you're not allowed to do the cop out and say that they were stupid. That's not fair. That's not being accurate. Probably what happened is that these people got caught up 
in some type of perception, like a, a frame, a worldview. And then they, 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 it was like the worldview was like the unconscious dream that they lived in and in their left brain, their ego gets deployed inside the worldview. And then they go and run and, and, and live inside that worldview and do all their stuff from the context of that worldview. And this is why you see, for example, they would go and they would conquer all of South America and, you know, put many people to death in the name of Jesus, like these mm. types of things, because within the worldview the, you're going to try to do your mission and you're going to take whatever worldview it is and make it work for your, your whatever you need in that type of sense. I'm going to try to wrap this up in some type of convenience if I can. Go ahead. I now, love it. Keep going. <laughs> now, the, the, the final question is, well, what is the ideal? What's the proper way that these two hemispheres should be working? Well, they actually work in tandem, like a soldier and a general. So the, the soldier calls up the general and the general gives the soldier the way of seeing the world and the mission and the goal. Okay, this is how you should see the territory. And then this is what you should do. And then the soldier sits down and takes the orders and makes a plan in order to get the orders done. So it's almost like the general decides the strategy and the soldier decides the tactics. It's a very, very simple mm -hmm. way of thinking. Yeah. You know, you're like, all right, what's the big picture? And then the general says, this is the big picture. The soldier who's not in touch with that can't see the big picture and gets caught in delusions. My proposition about what um, psychosis might be. Oftentimes, psychosis is triggered by immense amounts of stress or, for example, smoking a lot of cannabis, which causes propensity towards delusions, mm -hmm. these type of things. Yeah. So you get massively stressed. You get snapped like a soldier who's got shell shock, gets snapped in your ego. You lose touch of reality and you get stuck in a dream for a while. So then the question is, how would these properly function? The soldier would go out and would do a mission. And then when the mission goes wrong or the mission goes right, the soldier would pause and then come back in contact with the general and see the big picture. And then pop back into the mission and go do another mission again. And each mission would have a sort of worldview coming along with it. This is the way mm. you should see the world. And this is what you should forget and whatnot. Mm. And so yeah. what it seems like happened in the West, and it's happened in societies all the time, is that there comes a certain point where maybe even unconsciously, we decide that we need to enact a mission of some sort. What do I mean by that? Well, the worldview of Christianity was that the world was already saved. Christ had come and history was over. And all we need to do is to sort of just live out calmly the, the, the remainder and let the, the, the clock wind down. We've already won type attitude. Mm. Now, this is very, very beneficial in thousands of different ways and very, very um, restrictive in, in thousands of different ways. There's always a good and up and a down to any perspective. And so this perspective on the, the, the sort of uh, yearning for the past paradise, and I know obviously revelations and all that, but we'll talk about that in a moment, mm. but yearning for the past and paradise kind of holds you back a bit, but it actually grounds you and anchors you a little bit and stops you having to do wild progressivism, like building cities and stuffing everybody inside offices and ruining their natural connection to the world and all this. And so Christianity kept them in that worldview. But then what com comes along in the West is a change of perspective, uh, a vision, a new worldview where it's like, all right, what's actually happening in the world is that we are in hell. We, we don't live in God's kingdom or anything like that. Maybe, maybe it's Christianity uh, distilled into its essence. We, we live in hell right now and we need to escape hell. We need to get out. We need to progress towards a place where there is no pain and no suffering. Uh, uh, we need to escape from this. And so what happens then is that the idea is that we're going to figure this out ourselves. That's the sort of worldview that the unconscious general of the mm. West conceptualized. We're going to figure this out ourselves. And, and, and we didn't really know this was happening, but this is what happened. And Nietzsche coined this as the death of God. That's what he called it. Mm, and then what happens yeah. then is the little ego, the left brain, all of our left brains together, the ego of the West. And um, when, when this story from the general changes, the ego from the West 
accepts that idea and says, right, what we're going to do is the plan is now we're going to have to try shuttle out of this reality, symbolized best in, in fucking rocket ships and shit like that, you know, yeah, exactly, shooting yeah. out of reality. And what happens is, yeah, so we get obsessed with progressivism. We get obsessed with progressivism. And I don't mean like in the political sense, although that's a consequence of this, mm. but I don't mean in a political sense. I mean, in the sense of like the general worldview. Everybody sort of agrees in progress in some way or another. Technological progress, social progress, societal progress, same thing. And we, there's all this belief that we're all going to become transhuman techno-pagans at the end of time. That's the sort of visionary conception of where we're going. And no one, no one can tolerate the idea of like, oh, we're just fine as we are. Why don't we just sort <laughs> yeah, of accept exactly, Jesus right. and stay still? But that was actually the, the common perspective of the vast majority of religions in the past. Mm. Uh, it, the Hindu religion has the idea of the Yurgas and essentially says progress is bad. Um, the Celtic paganism, same thing. Um, the Christianity has, has that sort of implicit in it, but not. it's, it's a bit more complicated. But I'm going to go simple for the time being. Mm. And then what you see happening with us, obviously, is that like rapid, rapid assertion that the, the state of the world is bad and we must shoot out and escape. And this opens up a lot of different issues because that fundamental worldview is the root of the intellectual paradigm. And as, mm. as much as we want to talk about intellectual stuff, we can't until we actually unearth the worldview, until we have a serious conversation about the urge inside of us to progress, the urge inside of us to escape reality. We'll never mm. be able to intellectually like disprove it until you won't, you, you won't be able to tell Sam Harris that he's like he needs to reconsider uh, religions because Sam Harris is so unconscious of these superordinate myths that are driving him that he won't even be able to, to comprehend that. He'll just think you're stupid. He'll just mm. dismiss it in some sense yeah, whereas wow. if if you really wanted to dance with these ideas and it's pretty hard to do it you you want to be looking at it in some sense of maybe even using that brain science to help you of the, the ego and the unconscious and the ego and the and the right brain whatever and these yeah. these two things have a function and right now they're currently in the midst of performing the function of uh the ego deployed as the soldier to go achieve a goal and maybe this is the scary part maybe we've become delusional and we, we, we're actually, we're like the psychotic ego at this point, And we need to get snapped out of it or something like that. Mm, so yeah. I, said so I just want to jump there. in here. Cause like, yeah, there. like <laughs> that was amazing. Like, woo, like kept going, but like, I know we have limited time, but yeah. I mean, like, again, I got the same problem with Sam Harris. Like he, he seems like, honestly, he, like he's very spurgy. Like <laughs> he's, very, he's extremely left brain. He's like, if it's just this, this, and this, this, then we can figure this out. I'm like, Sam, you're you're lost cause and like when when you like like for example like if you listen to like his debate with uh, Jordan Peterson, you can see they're just talking past each other when it comes to truth and it's just like he has one conception of truth and Jordan has the other conception. It's like they're just not coalescing and like I love the uh, the whole bicameral mind hypothesis. Uh, for those who are unaware, it was coined by a uh, uh, psychologist Julian James and is a 1976 book. It basically states that. Around 3,000 years ago, the the right, like the way that human quote unquote consciousness is we weren't really conscious. It was more so the right hemisphere will like send auditory hallucinations to the left hemisphere. And like the left hemisphere would just be like, okay, like exactly the general and the soldier. And they would just go like there would be like no debate. There would be no quote unquote consciousness. I was going to put in and say that's what that's what God was like. Like if you read the Bible, <laughs> that's what God's appearance is like exactly yeah. exactly on, sorry, and that's sorry. that's like what's what many uh that's what can be posited as the birth of religion it was like these hallucinations in the brain it's like and when people have like you know like muhammad he had like you know or like anyone have like these they have something just channeled into them 
it, it could be interpreted as like this the right brain just like screaming something some some story into the left brain the left brain like okay and just putting it out into the world and like this was covered in like uh westworld's uh uh the, the westworld series on hbo about how like the whole the whole plot line of westworld is like you have these androids and like it was programmed into them like they were trying to bootstrap consciousness via these auditory hallucinations into them. And they'd be like, oh, who is this? Who is this talking to me? And there's all of a sudden, they're just like, oh, oh, just like, it's it's me. And then all of a sudden, they have their own, they have their own framework. They have their ego after having these hallucinations all the time. And where I like to go with this is like uh, at the Stoa, like uh, you were at the Stoa, you had the session. And I'll link people who haven't been to that amazing session. Uh, and uh, Peter Lindbergh, he talks a lot about, about the daemon about being possessed by it, of how like the, the stoa is being like channeled through the daemon and whatever the daemon tells him is he's putting it to being. And I kind of see it as like, that's the right brain speaking. And like, and when you talk about how schizophrenia, how we could kind of look at the world and kind of like these hallucinations is, is possibly just being the right brain, just like, just, I don't know, just like coming back into the fore and just screaming at him. And like Peter Lindbergh openly talks about having these, uh, about his psychotic breaks. You know, like in his letters, he's like, I just had a psychotic break. I just went nuts. And I just like smashing my head on the ground. I like he was being nice. possessed by something. I was like, wow. And here's the thing with me. Like, I haven't had any really, quote, clear cut breaks, but I feel like I'm like slightly and moderately crazy all the time. <laughs> and the way that I look at it is like, I'm like, I look at it as like, I'm like channeling the universe. Like what I do yeah, yeah. Is, is like several times a day, I just put my hand over my heart and my gut and I just breathe in. And I just channel the universe and I just accept and I let whatever just flow through me. And that's how everything I'm doing right now is coming up. And I see it as like, not just even the right brain. I see it as like the universe. And this go, this dovetails what we were talking about before, how like, if you could get the hemisphere in sync, you could possibly project out and possibly let something else flow in. So I'm just wondering if you have any specific thoughts on that like, real quick. Well, you've you've put up a, a load of very very interesting things there. Like, for example, first of all, I would uh, offer people the suggestion of not using the word religion, because um, mm. it's 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 very 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 problematic to. If, for example, I would be a, a, an assassin of jargon. I, I uh, do not like uh, just concepts in general. I, I would be sort of some type of barbarian grug that's uh, proposing that we, we simply dismiss the, uh, the framework of language entirely and start from scratch to see where mm. we can go. Yeah. But, but one example of that would be um, the, the use of the word religion, like re the, the, the very famous thing coming from the, the new atheist dudes. And I know we rag on them dudes a lot, but I guess they deserve <laughs> to be rag on because they put themselves up there and they were wrong. And that's actually a serious problem if they're, they're that wrong about this stuff. Mm -hmm. They propose the idea that uh, like the religious-minded thinking, the religious thinker. And Jordan Peterson has done great work in, in exposing this. It's like th there's no such thing as someone who doesn't think, quote-unquote, religiously. But mm. that's not even worth dis discussing because that's falling into the frame. What do people mean by religious? And precisely is it's what I'm saying as before. It seems like the right hemisphere, as the general, has the, the his job is to see, look out and see a, a sort of perspective on the world he, he looks out and he sees like all right what's important right now and then he takes that perspective and he sort of like says all right well 
this is the way of looking at the world and that's the goal. So he, he maybe he looks out of his bunker and he sees that, all right, we need to take out the cannons. And so he says, what matters most right now is the cannons and the entire world focuses on the cannons. And then he goes over and he calls up the soldier and says, get the cannons. And so what happens is the soldier gets stuck inside a worldview, which is like cannons bad, and mm. um, us good or something like that. And that would become, that's, that's literally like the soldier's religion if you want to think about it his his way of seeing the world and what's so fascinating about the left brain and the ego is that it's brilliant at sitting down once it has a worldview and, and says i want to take out those cannons it is amazing at figuring out how to destroy the cannons then it will sit down and it will, def- it will like worm through all these thousands of trenches and it will just nuke the cannons like get rid of the cannons brilliant mm-hmm. great job but the the left brain it's almost like the left brain cannot it's, it's got problems with actually changing that perspective. So once it's like a hamster on a wheel, once, once it's got that way of seeing the world, it's stuck inside of that. Now, what's fascinating about that is because this general, this right brain, this unconscious, its job is to just shift perspective. So what happens then is once the cannons are gone, it um, changes really quickly. And it says, all right, now we're going to go for the soldiers there in the house to the next of it. The worldview changes. And then it calls up the soldier and boom, new religion, new perspective, new way of seeing the world, new way of seeing the world. And then boom, onto that type of thing. And so the best way to understand what happens when you 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 look at the world religiously, you look at it that way is that you're, you're stuck inside a perspective. Nietzsche described this phenomenon as perspectivism, the problem where everybody has a perception. And it's very, very, very important that we understand the validity of that. And now I, like, I believe this right brain stuff sort of explains to us why these type of things were valid is because it seems like it's a function of the brain to, to, to the right brain creates a perspective and gives it to the soldier. And so someone like Sam Harris is in a perspective, you could call it the enlightenment perspective, the post enlightenment, very shallow thinking perspective that we're all going to progress to the utopia of well-being, which is the proposition. Now, of course, this is a religious perspective with religious theses. And this is what Jordan Peterson, I believe, is really trying to do with Sam intelligently was trying to get him to dig down to his fundamental principles but he couldn't get him to do it because sam was not capable and I, this sounds so mean on sam like, i kind of <laughs> like him a bit like but he's he's not he's not capable he, he wasn't capable of inspecting his own premises because he's an ego and he wasn't capable mm-hmm. of ins- inspecting the entire um nuance of of the fact that he he's stuck inside of a perspective he wasn't able to do that he wasn't able to see his unconscious bias which is that well-being is the best thing ever because he was just sort of like it is it just has to be doesn't it yeah. and and then someone like nietzsche if you want to understand him would would propose this is what's the probably the main thesis of his um his his writing is that that concept of well-being being like the 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 general sees the cannons and says the goal is cannons and um, Sam Harris sees, looks out and he sees the goal is well-being. And Nietzsche would pr- propose and look out and see the goal should be excellence. And so there's the different perspectives uh, littered all among those. And they're, they're sort of like our current programs or religions that are running right now. And uh, we're certainly trapped within those. And, and it's a very, very fascinating thing because if you actually become conscious of this process going on, it allows you to actually pull back and not get caught up in it. And you realize that, 89% of people or 99% of people are completely um, stuck inside these paradigms and not to like mm. put, put them down. Like it, it's just the way the world is. And mm. it's kind of scary. It's like how these things are just going to play themselves out then it seems. And what happens is if, if we can step back and see this process and actually intelligently critique our perspective and maybe even establish a communication with this unconscious, does that mean that we can kind of pull back and become more conscious of the entire thing? And maybe does that, does that, does that give us the power to actually direct this entire rigmarole 
to mm. the direction that we wanted to go mm. and and all these different questions come up then at that point like where do, what do we want to, where do we want it to go to and, and how does all that stuff come up but mm. if exactly. you have any thoughts yeah exactly the general exactly get the general back in charge hello he's like where he's been missing and again like, uh, like this is amazing like look like, I, I, like there's like eight million more questions we're unfortunately not going to get into because i know we're here short of time but like something that i'd really like to get in next i'm sorry it's coming maybe from a selfish point of view but actually it may go even deeper than that and possibly it could have some more value because again like you're you're very much into jung's work carl's work and like his, his archetypes and all that and like some, that's something i've really been getting into lately about like these fundamental archetypes of which like we're, we're manifesting and like uh the philosopher alexander bard like he breaks down the human population into four categories he says like you know his you know this specific uh, uh framework is he has 92 percent reside in the matriarchy and patriarchy you know 46 46 you know matriarchy patriarchy then there's like a four percent androgynous who like uh, occupy the you know the the, the liminal space between the, the matriarchy and patriarchy, and then there's also the four percent are the shamanic cast. And now with the shamanic cast is the way he puts it. They're like the crazy go betweens between all the various tribes. You know the, the you know the the ones that are just dancing to the beat of their own drum and like they just you know it's like they don't fit in. And like this is what's very interesting and actually what re how it relates to me historically, uh, you know shamans, you know the, these ones who like channel you know the spirits you know are the go-betweens between the various types and, and and trying to bring everyone together it's like they've been celibate and now like and that's very interesting because i'm gonna let something uh uh if people have uh listened to any of my previous episodes they'll know this weird part about me i'm voluntarily celibate not only that i'm 36 years old i'm still a virgin voluntarily i've never been in a romantic relationship in my life so that so i'm like wait a minute is this a coincidence storing that juice yeah <laughs> that juice and i'm like exactly so i'm like what is your take on that like what is is this all a coincidence or, or is this something no, deeper? no no bitches work your juice that's right good, good job <laughs> yeah. keep that stuff yeah. to yourself that's yours. no fab no fab tell is nothing hoes. for me yeah you know yeah no fab's a lifestyle tell, tell, yeah. tell them hoes is, <laughs> tell them hoes are not getting them, yeah, tell them yeah, yeah. no way no way no 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 to hoes this is certain this is a boys space girls <laughs> no please way. turn off the stream yeah, girls. yeah you, We're better, done. you better be on point you're gonna get some of this juice <laughs> You're something more yeah. like, you, you, I, you, I don't even know. I don't know. Do you, do you, I mean, yeah, is it just so crazy <laughs> that that like, you you can't even figure something? No, no, no. Come up? Yeah, I, no, no. I've 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 met many dudes who are who are into the nofap stuff, and uh, I've come to appreciate the the idea of reserving your sexual power and um, as much as you can. I, I've I've come to learn that it's a very very important thing. The libidinous urges at the the root mm. of the root of the body, if you will. The libido is the the functional energetic force that drives this, the 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 mind the the nervous system. If you want, you can think of it like electricity. It's the same thing. If, if you want to put it that way, maybe that's kind of jumping. That's going a bit far, but it's um it's sort of you could think of it that way. The electricity that shoots through your body is like the libido, the creative force. Mm, and exactly. obviously, if it appears in your lower chakra, it drives you towards lust. And if you obey that lust, you create a kid which is good. Mm. And then um, the same as if it appears in your heart and you obey that feeling, that electricity, that buzz you get in your heart, what will happen is you will want to bond with people. You create a community and friends and family, which is good. And mm. then if it appears in your brain, it will create thoughts and thinking patterns and it will drive you towards conceptualization and art, which is good as well. All these things are good. Now, if you want to talk about um, what Bard was saying, I, I'm going to maybe put a different frame, but you could talk about the archetype of the caste system. Now, mm. it's obviously a little bit controversial, but it's nonetheless a 
natural representation of human inequality that always manifests no matter what. It's currently in our society as the rich, the middle class and the poor. In India, it was the Brahmins and then you had the, the warriors and then you had the, the, the sort of workers and then you had the, underneath that the untouchables. In ancient societies, it was the same thing. The Indo-European caste is very famous. You had the upper class, the is the kings if you want the royalty or the, arist the aristocracy and then sort of like the warriors and then the peasants and this stuff always appears in this type of way now the thing that's most fascinating about this comes from the uh, related to sexuality is why why is the priests always on top that's the thing that's always mm -hmm. so interesting yeah. why are the why are the priests usually why are there why are there usually brahmins on top like what's going on there it's a very very strange idea and um, you'd imagine the kings would be on top and kings certainly are pretty high status but they tend to be cooked by the priests it, it's usually what's exactly. what's the the situation yeah. and so you ask yourself some serious questions because why are the religious types up there well it's probably because knowledge is power as they say knowledge is the supreme form of um of power it's the most important thing nietzsche talked about this an immense amount like why do we have priests as leaders why do we have knowledge workers as leaders well because they are the only ones who are capable of thinking it's almost like it's almost like naturally we would select for the highest iq people to, to rule that's sort of what it is the the pope was ideally would always be your smartest person and they would be connected to something extreme they're like actually forming the role of the right brain general if you want to think mm -hmm. about it that way yeah. they retreat up into this cast that almost no one experiences and they go into these secret rooms and they talk and they're connected deeply with a huge perspective of like you know the religion which is almost always thousands of years old and they're guardians of that perspective and therefore the people contained within that and they become the sort of um yeah they become the sort of characters that move that and so they're sort of like the general and they come down and they tell the the kings what to do and the peasants what to do so they're sort of like the right brain coordinating everything ideally it's actually a very very intelligent idea an important idea now what's so interesting about uh, the, this caste system and these brahmins is the platonic idea of the philosopher kings the the idea mm -hmm. of the rulers the, the you know the sort of right brain general brahmins the priests were supposed to be well first of all sexually conservative at the very least because you don't want to be running around like a a grug just kind of hanging it out there banging whatever you see that's 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 a lower form of consciousness it's not that's not that's not that's too impulsive that's not indicative of big long-term thinking and so what is um asserted is that well, what with the Catholic Church, because the Catholic Church was, as Nietzsche said, Platonism for the people. The Catholic Church was actually premised on the idea of these elites. They would be, at the very least, monogamous, and eventually it became entirely celibate. They would be people who are dedicated fully to this sort of intellectual perspective on mm. things. And so the Brahmin caste of Europe for a long time, the Catholic Church was entirely, you know, no nuts for life type vibe. That was the, uh, that was the thing that was going on. Now, this is a um, fascinating and interesting innovation because in some sense, it's a little bit anti-life, which is scary. But in other senses, it does something which Nietzsche noticed that when you hold in all the juice, it shoots up into your head mm. and turns into like this tension and desire for for excellence and power and sometimes it can go quite dark and turn into this like celibate creepy need for power <laughs> like you see in game of thrones yeah. and and other times it can turn into this exceptional ability to 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 be energized about something abstract which is ideally what you're aiming for um mm. 
now I'm, I'm afraid I'm like a little bit short on time, so I can't yeah. go into this stuff much more. Yeah. But um, I will leave you with some good quotes. First of all, like Freud went no nut for life at 40, told his wife he'd never bang her again. So that was pretty ruthless. <laughs> and then, um, another one was Nietzsche. I, I, I have a feeling Nietzsche probably didn't fap that much either. No. And uh, he, for example, talked about stuff like where the semen is absorbed by the blood. What will happen is you'll feel this, you'll feel the semen like fire in your, in your body mm. and you'll be like energized. And he proposes that was a big deal. So you can think of, of Nietzsche like, not fapping for 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 like months and getting all <laughs> frenzied on all the energy inside of him and writing down these crazy Nietzsche thoughts mm. and that I think that gives a whole new context into a lot of his work. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's kind of that's validating a lot of what I'm thinking. Like uh, my friend Tia, uh, she's been helping <laughs> with, with with tantric breath, and she's been telling me how like you know usually men when she works with men with, with doing the tantric breath and breathing up through the chakras from the root and into the crown. Usually they have to work on the upper chakras, like the heart on up, because like they're usually very grounded, but it's like the heart and the love that they're there have to work on. She said with me, like I'm the exception to the rule. Well, like I have to work on my root chakra, my perineum up to here, because like it's this where it's like I need work on. But so it's like that's just my unique thing. So all right, thank you so much for coming on, uh Stefan. So I just want to know uh where can people find out more about you and all your amazing stuff you're doing over there? So pop over to Uberboyo on YouTube. I think that's the best place to check it out. A lot of people like the video I did in the Red Book. I released a video recently called Carl Jung on Individuation. I think that would actually give probably the best intro story to who I am. So um, I think you quite like that. So check that one out. Mm, that's it. Again, Uberboyo, the juiciest boy on the web right now. He's killing it. Jung, Nietzsche, getting mean in your life. Anti-nihilism. He's fighting against the dark forces of entropy. Okay. Again, thanks so much, Steph. Uber boy <laughs> And that's it, everybody, for another episode of Nordic Nomads. Peace out and step up because the world needs you. Bye. All right. Thank you very much. Right, Cheers, brother.